Welcome to On the Bench. I am Brendan Sinone. I've got Joshua Newberg and Chris Nee with me as always. And I have a confession. It's going to be shocking. You guys ready? I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the season starting on Saturday. Why you're not playing? Oh, I'm nervous because if they lose, I think they're going to win. But if Florida State comes out and, and lays an egg, I can't deal with with the angry readers and listeners being mean. See, to that's me not for, true. I told you over the phone yesterday that I, I am confident that they're going to get off on the right foot. But if they don't, we know how to handle this, Brendan. I don't think so. This is we different. know how to handle it. Dropping of the ball at the beginning of the Willie Taggart era was so different uh, because it was unexpected. People were upbeat, and it was this crazy like momentum shift. You can't live in People the People are already angry going into the season. The message board has been so testy. Mm-mm. All right, we'll we're be all positive. In. We'll be we're positive. all in. Football's in two days. We're all in. If they lose to Georgia Tech like they lost to Virginia Tech, just crack open the bottle and let it fly. I mean, at that point <laughs> – at that point, all hope is lost. Just go with it. I don't obviously expect that to happen. I'm not hoping that happens. I'm just saying, be that way. Live in the moment. All right. I'll be more positive. They're there gonna, you go. They're there gonna, you go. Good they're going to Georgia Tech. Well, there is an edit. Edit. All right. Welcome to On the Bench, guys. Uh, we are going to do our season preview podcast today. We're going to preview the FSU Georgia Tech season opener. I, I, it's crazy like football's here it doesn't feel like like it's football season but it's here we're all legitimately excited for it despite my neuroses we're do a little recruiting talk as well and then we're gonna take some listener questions so we have a lot to get through today let's go through the recruiting stuff really quickly do you want to start with the positive or disappointment positive let's do positive joshua you dropped a crystal ball lots of upvotes lots of people clapping their hands uh why don't you tell the tell the listeners at home about your your balls and, and where you dropped them Mm, yeah, if you're a Knowles 247 subscriber, you saw yesterday that I entered a crystal ball pick for Gads, Gadsden City four-star offensive tackle Rod Orr. Uh, he's an Alabama prospect. He goes six foot seven, 296 pounds. He has a bunch of offers, including Tennessee, Ole Miss, Oregon, FSU, Missouri, Indiana, Kentucky. There's a there's a bunch. Well, I put in the crystal ball pick yesterday based on news that I really got two weeks ago. Um, I felt confident about putting in the crystal ball with what I heard two weeks back. I wanted to wait. I want to talk to some more people. I want to see, you know, how things developed over those, that time. Also wanted to see if, if Rod Orr was going to set a decision date. Cause at some point he was saying he wanted to get his, his recruitment done before the end of the summer, but he's gone quiet. We haven't heard from him. However, I am confident at this stage to put in a crystal ball pick. I think I put in a crystal ball pick with confidence level of eight. Um, Ooh, right now, I, and and this is all barring Auburn entering the picture. And at this point, it just doesn't seem like they're going to. And that could change. And so could my crystal ball pick. But <laughs> for now, I feel like Tennessee is probably the biggest threat. Um, they got something weird going on with the Marius Mims where they're trying to make a push. I don't think Mims is going to Tennessee. We can't out, you can't count out Jeremy Pruitt just yet. Um, so if Mims doesn't end up going to Tennessee, then maybe, um, you know, they do make a bigger push for Rod Orr. But right now I'm still confident with Alex Atkins' relationship with Rod Orr and his family that Orr ends up at Florida State whenever it becomes decision time. Yeah, the only thing I'll add on that is I talked to an Auburn source yesterday after Josh's report. They told me that as of now, they don't expect Auburn to pursue or offer or they've kept them warm. But I think that's the extent of the relationship and what they expect going forward. And the only other thing I'd add is that I do think Tennessee's running number two for Mims. Okay, let's get to the negative news. I'll let Chris, I'll let you be the the bringer of bad, bad fortunes. You're talking about Keyshawn Green, I presume? Yes. Yeah, Keyshawn Green decided FAU is his transfer destination after leaving Nebraska. I think it's pretty plain and simple. It's a matter of availability of scholarship. There is not currently one available at FSU. You'd have to wait till January. The potential for him to get to FAU now does exist. Not saying he definitively will be at FAU right now. Obviously, this gets a little interesting. If he doesn't enroll at FAU immediately, it's kind of an open market for him until January. But all of that being said, I expect him at FAU. Uh, I I don't know. A lot of people losing a lot of sleep over that. I'm not personally in that boat. 
FSU is at 85. We've covered this, I feel like, every podcast we ever do. And it is what it is. You know, obviously, there's some ways they could have worked around, tried to get them in in January, but that takes patience from both parties. And in this case, it doesn't appear that Keyshawn wanted to be patient. Further, just for background, for people who don't know who Keyshawn Green is, four-star linebacker from Wakola High School nearby Tallahassee. He was committed to Florida State for a I got that crystal ball in on him early, fellas. I got it in real early. He was committed to the Willie Taggart staff for a while when they uh, when they went away. So did he, and he ended up going to Nebraska and said was up there for what, like four months? How long was he yeah. actually in Nebraska for? Well, he was a summer in Wally, so yeah. Yeah, so a short, yeah, he, short period of time didn't work out for him as other Florida commitments to Nebraska and that Scott Frost pipeline kind of defected as well. So, uh, yeah, he's he's sticking with, uh, with Raymond Woodies, who he was committed to when at FSU. All right, let's focus on football now because we're just days away, a couple more sleeps from from FSU season opener against Georgia Tech. And, and you know, I, I think they're going to play the game, right, at this point. I just – I can't – like, I feel like we're going to walk into the stadium on Saturday, Chris, and it's not going to be there. I just – I can't – I'm just being very pessimistic, I know. Well, one would presume Tech's intention is to travel tomorrow. So I think if anything was going to blow this game up, it would be something we would hear in the next 24 hours, but I'm not expecting that. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. I just – I'm – just it's been such a weird off season, but it's going to happen. Chris, do you want to give a quick rundown of Georgia Tech's roster? They're coming off a three and eight. What was it? Three and eight, three and nine season. Uh, FSU opened as an eleven point favorite over the Yellow Jackets. That line has now moved to twelve and a half. So this is a game that FSU probably feels decent about. Yeah, I mean, anytime you're talking about opposing team, you usually start with their best player. And in Georgia Tech's case, it's kind of tough to find that guy, in my opinion. I think their running back room is pretty talented and deep. They've got, you know, Jamias Griffin in there. Jamar Gibbs is one of the better freshmen in the country. They complement the starter, Mason, very well. The receiving group has some ability. Marion Brown, Tampa kid who's there, had a pretty good freshman year. I think he had seven touchdowns. But their biggest issue is quarterback. They got four guys, and they're not sure who and which one will be it. Could be Jeff Sims, former FSU commit. Could be Tucker Gleason, who's also from the Tampa area. It could be somebody like James Graham, who was their starter last year. But truthfully, none of the four options are super appealing. None of them evoke fear for the uh, opposition. Defensively, I love a guy like Wanye Thomas. He's a nice field product. He's a safety. He's kind of the heart and soul of that defense. Um, but they, they, they're not – a very impressive football team. They don't produce sacks at a high rate. They haven't had 20 in, I think it's seven years, or going into their sixth year of not having 20 or more sacks. So they're not an incredibly good pass rushing team. That's usually what bothers FSU more than anything in recent years is teams that can get home on the quarterback. Their offensive tackles aren't very good. So the belief that FSU may produce a pass rush is there on the uh, FSU side of the ledger. I just, you know, I, I saw talk after they were picked last in the league of people saying, oh, I think they'll be much better. And I do think they're going to play very hard. One thing that Jeff Collins' teams do is play very hard. And Jeff's a good coach, and his staff are, is good coaches. So I do think the effort level is going to be great. And I think the want to is going to be great. But the talent just isn't there yet. They don't. They expected Devin Cochran to be their starting left tackle. Mm-hmm. He was a transfer from Vanderbilt. Some people may remember him from FSU pursuing him to some degree. He decided not to show up on campus. So that left a massive void at a major position for him. And there isn't a good plan B for them at that spot. You know, when you have issues at offensive tackle, at quarterback offensively, you don't really have a receiver who I would deem as like a game changer, a guy like a Terry who can just strike at any moment. Your running game is good, but your O-line is mediocre. It kind of nullifies some of that. And then defensively, you know, they got a good amount of experience on that side of the ball. I think they got 10 returning starters on the defensive side of the ball. You know, their starting linebackers are pretty solid, uh, consistent tackler type. But Wanye is the only like explosive mm-hmm. game changing guy to me on their defense. I just, I, I look at them. I don't think they're a particularly good football team. Now it's the first game of the season. Weird things can happen. One team jumps on the other early or out physicals the other team early. You know, we saw that with BYU Navy, where BYU just nullified Navy from the word go by being more physical. Those things happen. But on paper, uh, Georgia Tech was picked last in the league for a reason. They're still not a very talented football team. And looking, you mentioned that Georgia Tech's defense returns 10 starters. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Last year, they were 85th nationally in yards allowed per play, 5.83. Just for context, if you're looking at where, like, what Florida State's pretty mediocre offense did last year, 
uh, against similar opponents. Wake Forest was Wake Forest was 80th in that category. Syracuse was 92nd. So Georgia Tech falls right in between there. And FSU was actually able to run the football fairly effectively against both of those teams. So uh, barring any kind of drastic jump from year one to year two under Jeff Collins, which is possible. He's a really good defensive coach. He's recruiting at a pretty high level there, but still the, the talent is there in a long-term overhaul. I think FSU might have some success being able to move the ball more consistently than, than we might think given all the elements FSU is dealing with this offseason with the transition with Norvell, shortened practice, et cetera. Yeah, if FSU's D-line doesn't own the day, then go ahead and throw out everything that was written preseason about them potentially being a very strong unit because this is an undersized O-line they're going against. They've bulked up a little bit at guard and center spots. They're a little better there, but their tackles aren't very good. FSU should at times overwhelm them in the trenches with their defensive line. Something I wrote about yesterday and asked uh, both Robert Cooper and Marvin Wilson about was kind of the being the tone setters, not just for the defense, but the entire team. And that's kind of what Mike Norvell has put on them, knowing that that's the deepest unit. That's probably the most talented unit on the team. Those guys have to be pretty close to dominant and set the tone for the rest of, of the defense. And, and Marvin Wilson said that's that's a burden that we're, we're happy to to have. So we'll, we'll see if this defensive line can can dominate as expected on Saturday. Let's go on to our season preview overview and predictions, some superlatives. I'm going to throw out about like 10 or so questions to you guys, and then we'll go from there. All right. Number one, what are you most confident in this season? Uh, ironic, I'm asking about confidence, given mine is, is very shaky most of the time. But Chris, I'll start with you. What dynamic of the roster or program are you feeling really good about right now? I think they have a coaching staff that's going to coach around weaknesses much better than anybody has in the last three years in Tallahassee. And I, I think that's very important when you've got a team that still has deficiencies and holes that you have somebody that understands they have those deficiencies and holes and does the best to work their way around it. Joshua, same question to you. What are you most confident in? You got to unmute your mic, buddy. There we go. I was going to say something similar to what Chris had on the uh, coaching staff, but I'll go with the defensive tackle unit. Very confident in that bunch. Yeah, those were the two things I was going to say was the defensive tackles and the coaching staff. Uh, those are, I think, the the clear-cut strengths of this team right now. I'll add on a little bit to what Chris said with the coaching staff. Not only do I think it's a really sharp coaching staff from top to bottom with a lot of guys who were experienced and proven to be successful at other stops, I think the chemistry and cohesiveness, everyone being on the same page on both sides of the ball, on defense with Adam Fuller, getting to run the scheme he wants to run and what he knows how to run, like that's important. It's something we haven't seen in a few years now at Florida State. And then Mike Norvell and the chemistry that he has with Kenny Dillingham is something that we talked about earlier this week. And uh, and I think that's going to be something that's important too. So I'm going to go with just the cohesiveness and, and chemistry with the guys leading the players. I think that's important. All right, let's see. Next up, what aspect of this roster or program makes you the most uneasy going into the season? Josh, I'll start with you. What makes you uneasy or not very confident right now? Are we all just going to say offensive line? Just boom, boom, boom. The roster. <laughs> just the roster in general. Well, just the depth of, of, of the roster. You know, we, we have hashed over this a million times, especially during our um, draft and whatnot. But, you know, after you get past maybe the first 20 to 25 players, there's a big drop off. So I just meant uh, roster by depth probably. Yeah, I don't want to just immediately harp on the offensive line. I think we all know that's an area where they've been bad in recent years. I don't think the improvement's going to be drastic, even though I do think they will be an uptick better. I'm going to go with Blackman. I'm very much in the see it to believe it camp. I do think that he's got the best coaching he's had in his time at FSU. I think he has a group of men who believe in him more than anybody has previously, and I think that will go a long way. I also know he's very motivated to prove people like me wrong, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But I'm still going to go with Blackman. I need to see him, you know, these first couple games, Georgia Tech and Miami, I need to see him make very smart decisions, throw it away when he needs to throw it away, take the yards when the yards are there, make the right decision a vast majority of the time. And if he does screw up, make a mistake, something goes wrong, something goes bad, I need to see how he recovers. You know, they talked a great deal about recovery with him this year and with the team as a whole, but I need to see it from him to buy into it. 
I'm with you, Chris. I'm kind of similar, but mine's going to be more expansive to the entire offense. And I actually think the offensive line is going to be a little bit better as well. I was joking about that earlier. Like, I think I've said it before on the podcast. Uh, if they were a one out of 10 two years ago, they're probably gonna be closer to like a four out of 10. Like, I think they're creeping to be below average and, and could he maybe even be average or so at the power five level if all the guys stay healthy and improve as we think. But yeah, there's variables with them. There's unknowns with James Blackman in this offense. The running back depth, while there seems like there's talent in the room, that's still unknown. And outside of Tamori and Terry, not a whole lot of proven commodities at wide receiver other than an injured key or not full health, 100% likely Keyshawn Helton guy who's coming back from an injury. And the tight end depth is shaky too. So with not a whole lot of time to get the offense installed in the spring, uh, not to have those scrimmages and live actions at that time of the year, and then you bring that into this offseason, uh, I, I just think there's a lot of unknowns on offense and that does make me uneasy it could be a pretty good offense because Mike Norvell is a really good play caller and coach but it could also have a lot of growing pains as well sticking with the offense Josh who do you have as the offensive MVP this year who's going to be the leader on offense uh, but when we look back at the season Tamari and Terry I like it Chris uh, I think Terry will be the best player on the offense yeah Tamari and Terry all right clean sweep what about newcomer of the year on offense? Uh, so it could be a freshman. No, actually, no, it doesn't have to be a freshman. It could be Jay Sean Corbin. All right. I, I, think, I, think, I think Corbin's a hugely important piece for them. I think that he is the stability in a running back room that's going to have to mature in real time. I think he's a guy that understands what he's getting into, and I think his value is not only on offense but on special teams as well. Uh, I think we all kind of agree on Corbin. Yeah. The runner, the runner-up for me would probably be Devontae Love-Taylor. I think Love-Taylor can be – a pretty important piece for them and again bring stability to a position where they need it or how about the top freshman on offense who's gonna be a freshman true freshman who makes a makes an impact i i still like Corey wren elite speed is elite speed and mm-hmm. i i think you know the touches might be limited and the opportunities might be limited but i think the potential to make a big impact three four five times on the year and light up that scoreboard a couple of those times i think it exists for him i'm gonna go maurice smith He's a redshirt freshman, but you know what? We'll, we'll allow it, Josh. We'll, we'll allow it. I I assumed it was either redshirt or true. Josh, it's our podcast. We can make the rules. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll stick with uh, – well, I won't cheat like Josh did. I'll go with Lawrence Toa Philly, someone from Josh's neck of the woods. I, they like him quite a bit. I don't know if we see a huge impact in the first few games of the season, but as the year goes on, uh, it would look at, for him to be someone who gets more and more touches. Let's uh, Let's go one more on offense. Breakout candidate, who's someone who didn't do a whole lot last year that you think people are going to be like, hey, this guy's pretty good. I'm going to start off Cam McDonald. Uh, he doesn't have a whole lot of career touches to his name. He's being thrust into the starting spot, really athletic. Mike Norvell knows how to use tight ends. I think Cam McDonald probably quadruples his career production at this point going into the season. Go ahead, Josh. Warren Thompson. Um, oh, good one. I think he's due for a breakout season, being lined up across from Terry. I just, you know, at some point he's going to put it all together. And I think this is the year I'll go with another receiver. I'll go with Jordan Young. I think, I think Jordan Young is a guy who's played himself into a consistent spot where he can be counted on. And, you know, I, I, I think Terry Thompson, Hilton are your top three at that position, but I think they want to rotate. I think they want to use different guys. I think Jordan Young's a very versatile guy who can do a lot of different things and can be moved around the field a great deal. So I'll go with him. Let's say Young's versatility it intrigues me quite a bit still to this point. Uh, kind of like the same boat with Warren Thompson. you got to start showing it, and I think this year is going to be the make-or-break year for both of those guys. All right, so Memphis averaged 41 points per game under Norvell through his four years. FSU the past three seasons has averaged 26 points per game. That's what James Blackman and, and this current group of most offensive players. So I'm going to set the over-under season scoring average for 31.5 points per game, 31.5. Do you take the over or the under? I'll take the under by a smidgen. Mm, it was a good line that I set, huh? Well, I, I, I was thinking around 30, 31 is mm-hmm. where I wanted to set it. So, yeah, I, I I would have it a little bit higher if they had a few more softies on the schedule where I think they could rack up some more extra points to increase that average. But I think Notre Dame and Clemson keep them in check. I think there's a few other opponents who will keep them under that average for sure. So I think it's going to be right around there personally. Josh, 31 and a half. You're over? Yeah. We all know Josh hates math questions. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of there are a lot of numbers in that question. I'm going to go with the under slightly as well. I was thinking about 30 points per game seems about about reasonable given uh, given all the unknowns with this offense right now. I think it will be better than it has been. More efficient, I should say, but I don't know if it's going to be explosive this year. Defense now moving to defense. Who we got for the defensive MVP? All Marvin Wilson. Yep, Joshua Kando. Oh, because oh, while Mar- Marv's probably the most important player on the defense, a leader and the most talented and the highest draft pick, if this defense is going to be special, pass rush has to be there. And if Kando lives up to what he's been in the preseason, then I'll go ahead and take him. Because I used to joke around that he was a creative player, and for once in his life, it seems like he's going to live up to that hype. And he's healthy, which is an incredibly important part of the whole cosmetic of his career here. Healthy and engaged mentally. Yes. And that's just – um that's a big part of the equation too. Both those things has us all very excited for what Kando can do. Newcomer, see what I did there? Newcomer of the year on defense. Uh, so could be any of the grad transfer type of guys. I'm going to go with, I'll go with Jerry and Jones. Uh, he's lined up as a starter right now. Uh, the cornerback, I think it's someone who's going to create a few turnovers. I think you're going to see some like boomer buzz type of coverage from him this year, but I think he's going to create enough turnovers to where you, you at the end of the year say he he's someone who made a positive impact on this roster. Go ahead, Joshua. I'll go Fabian Lovett, defensive tackle. I'm going to cheat and take two. I'm going DJ Lundy and Steven Dix. I mm-hmm. think they changed the cosmetic of that linebacker group. I think they bring size that's desperately needed in that group. I think they complement that group and turn it from a weakness to a strength. All right. Well, the next question is going to be top freshman on defense. So we know what Chris's answer is going to be in that regard. I will go with Steven Dix Jr. Because what Chris said, I think he changes the dynamic of that linebacker group just from a depth perspective and enforcing everyone else around him to be better. That's that's pretty important. See, Sinone, when you zig, I zag. I'm mm-hmm. cheating like Josh Newberg here. I'm going with a red shirt freshman, Travis J. Hey, you stole mine. That's you guys mine. are derailing all of this. Also, for a little peek behind the curtains, I was going to take all of this, these answers, aggregate it, turn it into a roundtable to put on the Facebook link. I can't do any of that because Josh is answering one or yes or no questions pretty much. He's answering like three words. So that's been derailed too. But that's what the people have come to expect from Joshua Newberg. Just killing I'm here. just going to tell you who I think is going to be the candidate and then – I can fill it out. Move on. Unlike Brent, Brendan's going to sit here, tell you who the candidate is. Then he's going to wax and wane over who he was thinking about giving it to. He's going to apologize to a couple guys that he didn't name. And then we're Jarvis Brownlee. Like, I mean, come on. The people don't want all that. They just want to know who I think is going to be the top freshman. Brownlee was not happy that his weight was not updated the other day on Twitter. And no. you're, you're best. You're basically like, Hey bro, take that up with Derek Satterfield. <laughs> I will take responsibility for some things. I cannot take responsibility for that one. Uh, let's see. Breakout candidate on defense. Chris, you got to go Kando, right? Or Travis J. You pretty much just blew through all the breakout candidates too. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, I think I think those are your two that are kind of the guys. I, you know, I think Amari Gaynor takes the next step. And I think Deloach, obviously a guy who did not do much in his first season, I think he does a heck of a lot more in his second season. Deloach is a sneaky good choice. I'm going with Kando. I think – he's going to put up a really nice season and and he hasn't really done that outside of a couple of games throughout his career. I think you're just going to be a consistent force this year. Joshua. Um, give me, can I take a freshman? You can do whatever you want at this point. It clearly is all derailed. Yes. So it, all right. has, it's off the rails at this point. I Josh, want Steven Dix Jr. No, wait, that doesn't make any sense. He can't be a breakout candidate. Hey, whatever. All right. Why can't on. he? Why can't he? <laughs> Implication that he hadn't broken out yet. He was I want, I want this quoted in this long form story. Quote, why can't he? You know what? I'm screw the screw the rest of this. We're taking a commercial break. We'll be back with some listener questions. Damn it. And we are back on the bench. Uh, I had to throw a little cold water on Brendan. He's calmed down now. Um, we, we open this second segment up to user submitted questions or, or mailbag, whatever you want to call it. Um, I took way too much time this morning in organizing this fellas. So it, <laughs> there was three pages of questions on Knowles 24 seven from our members. And I kind of grouped them into like recruiting. There's a ton of prediction questions. So I know we just did this front end of the podcast but there's going to be more of these like under over type questions 
We get into some team-related stuff. There's an off-topic segment. And then I also um, left some space at the end for score predictions and season predictions. This is going to be a blast, Josh. Can't wait. All right. Let's kick it off first with Savannah Bandana. And he wants to know – oh, this isn't recruiting. But anyway, most sacks in 2020, Derek McClendon, Quayshon Four, Amari Gaynor, or Josh Griffiths. We're only picking from those guys. Who has the most sacks? Amari Gaynor. Amari Gaynor. I was going between Josh Griffiths and Amari Gaynor. Amari Gaynor. I'm going Quayshon Four. All right. right. Burt Reynolds Burner wants to know, if FSU signs chemo, Estes and Orr, so that's uh, two guards and tackle, and saves a scholarship for the OL offensive line for the portal, do you consider that a successful O-line class? No, I would not. I, I definitely think you need to sign two high school tackles and then bring in somebody from the portal. Uh, Chris, any any thoughts? Yeah, and it also depends on who you're getting in the portal. Not all portal creations are the same. <laughs> PML1988 wants to know, what do you guys think about Thad Franklin? Uh, he's a running back that's currently committed to Miami 2021 class. Miami seems to think he leaves the class and they think he flips to us, but he seems to think he will be only the only back in a class. What do you make of that in the RB board in general? Well, with, with the case of Miami, for him to flip, it's them taking another back. He wants to be basically the solo guy in the pond. And if Miami takes it on back, then he considers flipping. I'm kind of waiting for that to happen before I get to the bridge and try to cross it. I, Dad Franklin's one of those guys who I think enjoys attention to some degree, um, which plenty of guys do in the recruiting process. So I'm not knocking him for it. I just, I'm not devoting a ton of it till we reach the point of where he backs off that Miami pledge. If he does back off that pledge, yes, FSU is going to be a serious player in that recruitment. Yeah. When Thad Franklin came out like eight days ago now and said something to the regards of, you know, he'll look around uh, if Miami signs another back, that was just him sounding off to the Miami coaches. That wasn't like, and I know like FSU fans were, were huddling around the table waiting for the crumbs to drop, but he's just trying to, he's just trying to send a message to Miami. Hey, don't take another back. Um, if he decommits cause they took another back, and he goes to Florida State. I mean, Florida State's got to sign two backs this, this this cycle too. So I'm not sure. I don't think Thad Franklin making waves right now really has to do with FSU as much as it does just with his relationship with Miami. And he's done this before. He did this. Correct. I can't remember if it was July or August, but he did this. And then he shut down in Miami. And while we saw where that stands now. So like, I just, I'm not here to devote a ton of energy to something that needs to have something play out. Yeah, I would pay much more attention to Jalen White out of Alabama and Katravian Hargrove out of Louisiana. I think those guys are legitimate targets for right now. While Thad Franklin, I do agree he's on the board. I, I wouldn't pay as much attention to him right now. Yeah, give me Hargrove. Mm-hmm. All right, FSU alum 04, do we see official visits this recruiting cycle? If so, do we get some based on – do we get some and who may that be? Also, well, some of the experts have been saying for a while now that due to COVID, there will be an unprecedented amount of flips this cycle. When do you think that starts to happen or will it ever happen? If things open up, I believe that will happen. If things don't open up, I'm not entirely convinced that happens because the process all has been kind of snuffed out with a pillow. Um. If they do open, FSU is going to hit the ground running. They're going to immediately try to do it. I'm not convinced it's going to open, especially with the fact that two major of the power five are not playing. They're going to do everything in their power to say that's a competitive disadvantage for them and try to keep it kibosh and say, if it's not safe enough for us to play football, people shouldn't be hosting recruits. So I think that's going to be an ongoing battle at this point. We're through September 30th that we know it's not happening we will see here in probably the next seven to 10 days if they extend that to October 30th or if they back off it and allow it to open. If it does open, FSU is going to do everything in their power to get a guy like Amarius Mims in, a guy like Raquan Buckley in before he decides in mid-October. Uh, you know, those Rod prime, Orr, who also Rod has Orr, visited yeah. campus. Just kind of those guys that have the, never visited. The prime positions where they need guys. And then a guy like a Tyrone Byron, Malone would be another. Yeah, a guy like Byron Cardwell is one who's further down on the board because we dismiss him to some degree because he's out in Cali and, you know, he's got a lot of Pac-12 that loves him. If things open and he takes that cross-country flight, FSU will be in that game. He'll be a third name to put with White and Hargrove and Franklin, you know, in that running back discussion. Okay. Um, 
Kobe Gross just texted me and said he'll be at the game. So there's a little bit of scoop for you. Breaking news on the bench. Uh, when do you think that – okay, the unprecedented amount of flips. Yeah, I know a lot of people were saying that early on, and that was like March, April, even maybe into May when, when people thought that visits were going to reopen. It was also being said, um, you know, as a way to call them FSU fans from some that pump sunshine. And they would just say, oh, well, the kid committed, but there's going to be a mass decommitment coming later. Well, wouldn't that also apply to FSU? FSU has some kids on their commit list that haven't even ever visited to FSU. And I don't think they're going to be a mass decommitment um, from the commit list we have here or around the country. Uh, I think due to not only the COVID, but the social climate and everything, I think generally speaking, parents are going to keep their kids closer to home. We've already seen that happen already. I think that trend will only continue. Uh, Like Chris says, if there are visits later, yeah, we could see some some moving and shaking on the commit lists but right now just my gut just my gut like i don't think visits are going to be open this fall maybe by november december into the winter into january maybe but i can't see official visits happening september october maybe even into november also consider real quick that like fsu's kind of having an outbreak on campus i wonder if there's any sort of well, most like colleges a lot, are. A lot of it, but we know FSU based on just actual numbers they're putting out there. But yeah, if you look at the spikes in like the top 10 cities in America that are seeing spikes, about half of them are, are college towns. So yeah. that was expected. And just the idea of kids going from one city into another. That's what I'm saying. To their city. The logistics coaches. of any kind of like legal precedent or whatever of yeah, high school kid going from one city to another, jumping into your campus and then allowing that to be hosted like officially in any sort of way seems I like just that don't see a... them opening up visits, yeah, but I we'll agree. see. All right. Um, we're out of the recruiting portion and we're into the prediction portion. Burt Reynolds burner wants to know over under one and a half interceptions for FSU's defense over under one and a half INTs thrown by James Blackman. This is for Georgia Tech game, presumably. I'll take, correct. I'll yeah. take over on interceptions. I think they can get two, one because I think they'll be able to get home on quarterback some, and two because the quarterback talent is not very good for Georgia Tech. Now, given Georgia Tech could just try to ground and pound and throw it as a minimal amount of times, I'll go under for Blackman. I think he probably gets caught once, but my hope is that it's only once. Protecting the ball has been such a centerpiece of this preseason, which I know it is for all teams. But I think the dynamics of this team, how it's built, what they're going to try to do, I think they're going to really go above and beyond in trying to do that. James Blackman's kind of funny if you look at his stat line. Like he has more multi-interception games than he does have single interception games. So like usually when one bad thing happens, this isn't surprising if you follow James Blackman, the the blows are pretty low for him. Uh, But they have been really happy with how he's protected the ball in camp. And that's actually shown up like in the scrimmages. He's done a nice job protecting the football. I'm going to go under for this game and I'll go under for that defense creating interceptions as well for what Chris said I think Georgia Tech's probably going to try to 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 kill the clock I take the over and the over uh Derek 9971 wants to know over under three sacks allowed by FSU's O-line against Georgia Tech under I'll go under over Sunday Gold wants to know over under 300 yard passing game this season by Blackman at five and a half. Mm. Under. There's only 11 games, a lot of ACC games. Defenses will be better. I'll go under. It's a good. That's a good over under, though, because I was going to say about, about six. So I don't know what else, but you know what? I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over. I'm optimistic today. Six. Duke, NC State, Jacksonville State, Georgia Tech. Those are four where I think it can happen. I'm going to go kind of take push. <laughs> sure. It's a, it's it a was a half, though, wasn't it? Was, was it a solid line or a half line? It was, it was five, five and a half. And a half. And but I can't push whatever. that. I'm, right. I'm going to go under. I, I think it's five or six, so it's an excellent line. That, yeah. That's why Vegas makes its money. Sunday gold, I got the over. Um, 500 passing yards this season by a QB not named Blackman. Over, under. 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 FSU1995 wants to know uh, predictions for player of the game on offense, defense, and special teams this weekend. This week. Yeah, Uh, we've already done the season, so let's just do this week. All right, let's start off. Go ahead, Chris. I'll go Terry on offense. I I think they're going to feed him the ball, and I think he's going to have a couple big plays. Um, Defense, I'm going to go Kando. I'm going to ride that train until that train derails. Special teams, 
It's a unity award. We're going to give it to everybody. Special teams at FSU is going to be a strength for the first time in years. Oh, Chris. What? You like I, no, I just say it just sounds so good. It just sounds so good. Um, you like your cop-out? No. Well, it's, I don't think it's a cop-out. I think there's legitimacy to it, given that the entire special teams is like by committee apparently right now. So uh, I'm going to go Marvin Wilson on defense. I think he does what Marvin Wilson does against a pretty weak interior offensive line. On offense, I'll go with Jay Sean Corbin. Get set the Norvell era off on the right foot. Establish the run game. Uh, get him the ball as much as possible. On special teams, I'll go Travis Jay because apparently he has a chance to return the ball as both a kickoff returner, punt returner. You break one of those bad boys open, and and he becomes the player of the game. I feel like for special teams, you should do an or situation just to stay true to the depth chart. Travis Jay or Travis Jay. <laughs> I have to answer this. Uh, offense, James Blackman. Defense, Marvin Wilson. And special teams, Travis J or Travis J. Uh, fellas, what are the odds of a fake punt by the Aussie against Miami or other opponents? Hey, do we know if they're going to do like the Australian rules kind of kicking with him? Like, are they going to have him trying to ro- like roll out while punting? Do we have any idea if that's how they're going to do know, it? I don't know. And watching old Memphis games, I can't remember how often they would – utilize that versus just you know straight up drop back kicking that's something to watch on saturday isn't it uh no i'd say they probably don't do a fake punt against miami just statistically you don't see a lot of fake punts yeah and if they do i don't think it involves the aussie making the play i think it's more like a snap to an up back type of situation i i think a guy who's fairly new to the game of american football and who's playing in his second ever game I think even without the crowd impact and the the normal ambiance of an FSU Miami game, that's still a lot to ask of. A but you man. want to catch them off guard, Chris. That's the whole. That's the whole point. All right, well, there's a couple of prediction questions. Josh, I had a great dig for Miami. You just stole it from me. Oh, I was going to say, wasn't wasn't Georgia Tech's longest completion last year against Miami by their punter, or on a fake punt? I think so. Yeah, or the biggest play at least. Study that film. Mm. All right. Which surprise offensive weapon has a great game on Saturday? Uh, surprise offensive weapon. Miami really choked that game against Georgia Tech last year. I rewatched it the other day. That was fun. To, fun surprise to offensive weapon that has a great – I'll give you one. Mm-hmm. DJ Lundy, he scores a touchdown as a fullback. Go ahead, Sinan. I know I'm, Josh crushed you by stopping you there, but go ahead. No, that's fine. Uh, trying to think of a surprise offensive weapon. You know what? Why, why? Mm. Get him, get him involved. It's kind of in the weird goal that you line. said it like that. No, why, why? I don't think it, it truly is a surprise, but I think Warren Thompson shows that he deserved that starting role. Yeah, the, the, no, that's not fair. You can't say the starter, the starting wide but receivers. He, he has, he's not done it to this point in his career, so it still would be a yeah on a national surprising. level. I mean, if Warren Thompson comes out and has a big game, everybody's saying who's that? It, it, okay. All right. I, Everyone I like, loves Chris. I was going to agree with Chris on this. It just doesn't make sense. Bellevue Knoll takes asshole. us into some game talk. Brendan, who do you think will be the starting QB for Georgia Tech on Saturday? It sounds like the buzz is Jeff Sims, huh? Which would be a pretty interesting storyline. The FSU revenge tour against quarterbacks begins week one. Chris, any takes? Uh, yeah, I mean, the buzz right now is Sims. If it's not Sims, I think it's probably James Graham. He's the incumbent despite throwing less than 50% completions last year. Joan wants to know who will be Norvell picked to be our short yardage play. Like in sense of a fullback? I guess so. I mean, I think it's Lundy. Lundy. And if they run, I mean, if you're talking about like a tailback, probably the most physically ready to do that is probably Webb, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Webb has the, the build for that. So a little yeah. bowling ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think every so often you should pick a subscriber to join on the bench. Huh? I don't know about that. If we were allowed to do Patreon, maybe that would be a fun. For the mailbag, if you were coach, who would you choose to run the Wildcat? Well, I had DJ Matthews (laughs) for for different reasons. We had a bleep out on the last podcast. It was one of your best uh, lines ever, and unfortunately it's in the ether right now. Um, I can't pick DJ, can I? I mean, you could pick them. You'd be wrong. Okay, I'm going DJ Lundy. Right, We're going to call it the DJ. battering ram. Just a different DJ. <laughs> yeah. Also, two physical extremes of the human body as well. <laughs> you can thank the Miami Dolphins for bringing the Wildcat into lexicon here. Yeah. I'm trying, to think, of, I'm trying to I, think of who I'm I'm going Jordan like. Travis. I mean, I think 
You know, it's a good his, one, feet, his feet are special. What if they take Travis J since we're just putting him everywhere and like create a few packages for him per game too? Him and Ja'Kai Douglas back there? Ja'Kai Douglas is another good one. Uh, they have like five or six guys who I think can reasonably run out of the Wildcat and, and mm-hmm. that would be uh, be fun to watch. I, th- I think with Travis, you can do the, we have two quarterbacks on the field stuff though, where you line Blackman up wide, you can pull some double throws out of your hat if you well, need to get trickeration. Who are the guys, see the way like Norvell would do it though, he would usually give it to at Memphis and you could do different things out of this obviously, but they would usually go with a power runner. Was it uh, Patrick Taylor? Is that right? Um, that sounds right to me. They would put him as the the Wildcat quarterback and they would just basically say their intentions were to to run right at you. So you could do that, but if you want to get tricky with, a guy who can throw the ball too, like you mentioned, uh, Jordan Travis, Travis J, Ja'Kai Douglas, even White Rector has experience throwing the football. So you have like four or five guys who can reasonably throw the football out of there too, if, if need be. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see where we're at. Savvy's Noel. Okay, we're, get, we're getting a little off topic here. If you could interview any former player for the Knowles, from the Knowles on the bench, who would it be and why? Brandon, you go first. You know, it would be a big one. Uh, this is pretty obvious, but Jameis Winston, getting him to do an exclusive sit down on the bench would be yeah. pretty legit. I think for me, it would probably be someone like an Xavier Lee, someone from that lost decade stretch about what went wrong, how much mm-hmm. of it was personal responsibility, how much of it was team stuff like that. I think, I think that would be intriguing. Lee was such a magnificent recruit. You know, the arm strength was always one of those things that created buzz, but it just never happened on the field. Yeah, I've interviewed a lot of them on on OTB and others, but I would probably go with, and the reason, Jameis, I don't think Jameis is a good one because he'd be too buttoned up. Maybe five, six, eight, ten years from now when he's out of the NFL, I think it'd be a good interview. But right now, I think it'd kind of be, it'd be cut and paste. I would, would go that J- would be Josh. That would be our interviewing skills. The zig and zag that you like, that nah. you and I like to do. We, we do the yin yang approach. I get my neuroses. Yeah, also, you're nice and calm. I'm not trying to cause problems for Jameis Winston when he's All trying right. to sign a new contract either. All right. Um, I would go Jalen Ramsey or Kelvin Benjamin. Um, I think Ramsey just doesn't do a lot of press. Uh, it would make huge waves nationally if we had him on the bench and then Kelvin Benjamin, I would want to talk to Kelvin Benjamin right now for the same reasons I want to talk to Jameis Winston in 10 years. Kelvin's out of the league. He's going to give you a great interview. Uh, He doesn't do a lot of media. There's not been, I don't know of any long form sit downs with Kelvin Benjamin that I can recall. So I think that would be a really good interview for us. Jalen Ramsey was my backup choice because once you get him going and he was there in that transition time when they won a championship and then obviously things start to kind of start declining a little bit. He saw like Mm -hmm. the culture erode and he's kind of talked about it somewhat with the defensive back room in 2014 I think that would be he'd have some really good insights yeah and like Jalen's Jalen just got paid and when has he ever cared about what right you get him him going I think it would be a a lot of fun that's a good that's a good question that's a good question NB123 Josh and Chris if you were both on death row and they were only serving Brendan's mac and cheese as your last (laughs) meal would you eat it hungry or die would I'm going to die anyways, man. I'm going to die anyways. So I'll just pass on the meal. I'm good. Yeah, that first batch that, that he cooked, I would not. So I'll, if I'm just going off that first batch. No, I'd rather die hungry. Um, the, listen, the first one I've made three, and the third one actually got like people approved on Twitter. I'm going to say it. The first one was the best tasting one of the three. All right. This one's for Brendan, uh, Old Fashioned or Manhattan. I don't like to – I just like my whiskey neat. I'm very uh, – stuffy and, and traditional in that regard but my dad likes manhattan so i'll, I'll say i guess manhattan and in honor of pops you got to take on that chris Nah, I, I don't really drink the brown stuff anymore I've, i hear you i've gotten away from it i've <laughs> that turned con- in I've, that concert took you took you out of here it, it did i eight, 18 months later i'm still not really drinking any liquor <laughs> that's great all right bad bean wants to know josh last week you said swingers is your favorite movie in the scene where john favreau leaves a dozen messages on that woman's answering machine does that remind you of brendan sinone or <laughs> has he actually done that to either of you <laughs> l hell yeah it reminds me of sinone. If what? He single, he's not single but like oh. you are definitely the mikey to my trent <laughs> right like you are all growns up he's all growns up but I'm the asshole, right? I just want to play, uh, is it Blades of Steel that they're playing in that? 
Uh, no, NHL 94. Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to play an old school hockey game. Where they make Wayne's head bleed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. AVF03 wants to know, with Jalen Ramsey signing a $70 million guaranteed and $100 million contract, blah, 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 which former FSU player will have been most financially generous with the program over the years? Oh, um, I mean, there's that, a lot. Is of, it bad that we're not thinking of that quickly? No, I mean, there, there's a lot what of guys. About, like, there's a lot of guys like Aaron Brooks. Brooks is definitely one that came because to mind. His Work, time is worth a lot of money. Work Dunn's done a lot for the program. There's a lot of guys, truthfully, who do a good bit for the program that want to keep it anonymous. Peter, Peter Bowyer, uh just yeah. Pete has, Pete definitely has, along with Les. You know, they had the tie with the car dealership that mm-hmm. Pete's taken. I got over. a I got a message from Peter Bowyer the other day for the car dealership. Yeah, he's taking it over. It's now got his name on it. Um, the Toyota in the north side of town, northwest side of town. Um, Legacy Toyota. You're gonna I'm trying to think place. of a, a another play. I mean, they've had a lot of guys give back. I, I can't. I don't want to single one out and completely whiff on who I should be thinking of. So I don't have a great answer for that in a moment. Sorry. No, it's okay. Nathan Black wants to know, if James Blackman were to go down with an injury, would you expect better, worse, or about the same level of play from Rodemaker compared to 2017 Blackman? Oh, okay. <laughs> there is right. a plot twist at the end there. Better because All right, better so coaching. So you're comparing him to 2017 Blackman. Better because better, better coaching. Yeah. Better because of better coaching. There you go. And he's been here since the spring, so it's not like he just stepped – Stepped on the field a couple. Well, who weeks. is the supporting cast for Blackman in 2017? Uh, he had freshman Cam Akers with him and Jacquez Patrick. Auden Tate. Auden right? Tate, but Auden Tate got injured early in the year, wasn't himself, and that really hurt probably as much as anything. The offensive line was starting to kind of become a mess at that point. Um, yeah, Tate Rotomaker, I guess I would go with. Plus, he had the spring to his advantage, even though it was a short one, but getting in a full like six months ahead of time, probably a little helpful in terms of acclimating yourself plus i don't i don't expect rome i don't expect rome to be burning all around them at the same time too so that will help yeah this coach won't be halfway out the door at that point what a great guy jimbo was continue man still salty years later what is the apex no one's know what is your level of confidence that norvell gets us back to consistently winning 9 10 or 11 games a year versus the level of confidence you had when jimbo took over I think there needs to be a little bit more of an uptick in recruiting under Norvell. We had already seen that with Jimbo, but Jimbo also had the advantage of those years as assistant here to kind of start laying the foundation for that. Um, Obviously I feel like year one hasn't seen the bump one would hope, but that's because of circumstances outside of their control. So I treat it kind of as year zero. So I'll say it's less than the Jimbo one, but there's reasons for that. I wasn't, I wasn't covering the team during the Jimbo beginning of the Jimbo era, so I won't, I don't have an answer. You didn't watch FSU or have any idea what FSU was going to be I mean, in I was 2010? In, uh, I mean, I was too busy FSU. watching Group of Five. Yeah. Group of Sad. Six. I, uh, I'm definitely, until you, until I read the end when Jimbo took over, I was going to say that I felt pretty confident in Norvell getting back, but then when I compare it to how I felt about Jimbo, I was way more confident in Jimbo, mainly because that was the very first year that I was ever covering FSU. And now that we're 10 years into it, I'm a little jaded. I went through the Willie Taggart era. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm not as confident, but I'm not pessimistic about Norvell. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. I think Norvell is going to consistently win like eight and nine games every single year, just because he's a good coach. Yeah. And I just know more about FSU now, like, you know, there, there's about there's the, things, the inner workings of the, of the school and everything. There are things that have to be fixed for FSU to take the next step in yes. winning from being a good program to being one that's competing for the ACC again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. All right. Keep it moving. Um, this one, we'll go to you first, Brendan. Mr. Foreman wants to know, will Preston Daniel play in game one? Ooh, yeah, I think he will. I mean, he's on the depth chart. He's definitely going to play on special teams. I'm pretty confident in that. So, uh, so yeah, and I, who knows? He may even get in in the offensive scheme some too. Yes, he'll play some. I feel yeah. like the pressure's on me to write that story today now. Yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. Chris. The time has come. Have you how many how many baseball and women's basketball stories have you written before writing that one? Uh, 
three baseball and one women's basketball. And I, I've got a women's basketball press conference today, but that's kind of significant. I mean, you're yeah, longest I'll, tenured, I'll give you a pass on that one. Yeah. Your longest tenured coach on the campus is taking yes. a year off for obviously a very serious family situation. So I'll give you a pass on that one. Who's going to have more yards in game one, Corbin or Webb? Corbin. Corbin. Tino 86 wants to know what's the plan with Goss. He can't seem to gain the weight needed to play the offensive line. Do we try to facilitate his exit after the season? This has nothing to do with the whole vegan thing, which was annoying last year, but it's a continuation of it. This message board is the fascination they have with Jalen Goss is exhausting. I'm sorry. It, I don't know if they try to excommunicate him. I mean, oh, I, I, apologize. I, don't, I don't, I don't know how this staff works in that sense of, you know, if he's doing everything right, except for the ability to play because he's not, you know, a guy that fits into their plans, then I don't know if you push him out the door. You know, you know, if he's popular with teammates, he's getting it done in the classroom. He is working hard in practice. He is doing what you ask in the weight room. He's just not good enough to play. If that's the case, I don't know that you say, hey, you need to go. Um, you know, I don't think it's a charity by any stretch, but I also don't think you just kick a guy to the curb. Yeah. But I don't. I don't. I don't Can you explain off. the fascination for me, Chris? Like, what I, is the? I intrigue? don't know. I mean, I. Well, we have people that are obsessed with every name of the eighty-five on the roster and some walk-ons, and sometimes there's just guys among that eighty-five who aren't going to do anything. I, I think people have moved on from Jay Williams. I think Jalen Goss is in a similar boat. I just don't expect Goss to be a guy who contributes here. Goss, mm-hmm. Ira Henry, there are a couple of guys who we just keep getting repeated. I, I'm not ready to kick Ira Henry to the curb. He's a oh. big body and could develop, but I, I don't think he's ready to do anything for him right now. Yeah, I'm not ready to to dismiss either of those guys either because usually offensive line's a position, position it takes a few years to develop that. But if you're getting jumped by true freshmen at your respective positions, that is probably telling to what you're I, performing I think on the field. Also, and that's as much as there is to it in my mind. This is also shows what um, – what happens when you take a bunch of reaches on the offensive line, you know, guys, developmental guys, guys that when, when we signed them, all the fans were squinting their eyes and they made these guys look great. Oh yeah. They'll gain the weight. You know, the, and this is kind of what happens. Uh, you, you take a bunch of developmental guys, guess what? About half of them aren't going to develop. Maybe and that's kind of only what FSU has taken over the last two, three classes. Yeah, is a bunch of 50-50 chances on the offensive line. And Robert, this, this is what happens. Robert Scott's already taken that tackle position, the reserve one, and mm-hmm. he doesn't fit into the tight end plan. So, like, I, I just don't see how he fits into the plans moving forward. And you got Lloyd Willis there as well, who is a developmental prospect who you know, so. had, a, had a procedure done this, this summer and is probably a little bit behind, probably a red shirt already. Um, but, yeah. They got some guys like that on the roster. I don't think that they'll try to facilitate his exit. Uh, Woodbridge wants to know. Uh, Darius Washington and Dante Lucas are coming off injuries that held them back during spring of the offseason. Do you guys expect them to be back strong and have significant growth from last year? Chris, take that. Uh, I definitely do with Lucas. I think he's the most talented lineman they got. And I think he's the centerpiece for them to some degree on that position. I think Darius is still going to be – uh, there's things that tackle that are going to be a battle for Darius on the field, but I do think Darius will be a better player than he was last year. Darius is a very hardworking kid, a kid who sticks his nose in the playbook and listens to his coaches. And I think Atkins will do a good job with him. I just think we're asking a lot for him to play tackle. Especially with the, he's coming off the shoulder surgery and that's his left shoulder. And we're, we're guys attacking on the defensive end spot. So that's tough for Darius. He hasn't had a full offseason to really do strength and conditioning two years in a row now. Uh, he had a, a knee procedure in his freshman year as well. Then Dante Luke is not having that development uh, physically and having to worry more about rehabbing this offseason. It's a toughie. But, but I do think both of them are going to be better just from last year, just from having in-game experience. I do think that's, that's valuable. Okay. Moving on to Rude Boy 80. What are your guys' thoughts on the team's moral psyche compared to last year? As mentioned on prior pods, that when things went went bad last season, they went wrong fast and the team folded. Based on so he wants to know what's the moral morale based on the interviews and body language we've seen, and he also wants to know did did they get anything from the work done speech? Uh, I'm not sure about the work done speech. I will say 
I mean, based off the of last season, we knew going into it how fragile that team was. We document going back to last year's season preview podcast where Josh and I were both adamant like that Boise State game was, and Krista talked about this too, like that it was a Super Bowl for them. Like it was going to make or break that season. And that proved to be very, very true. That's how fragile last year's team was. Uh, what I like about this group right now, one, they're echoing a lot of Mike Norvell's sentiments. They're clearly listening and absorbing what he's saying. I think that's not a huge deal, but but it's important that they are engaged and listening to him. I think this team also seems much more humble. I mentioned Joshua Kando kind of having that more humility. That seems obvious from where he was a year ago. Even last year, Chris, do you remember before the before the opener against Boise State, that defense was coming out kind of peacocking, saying they were going to be the most dominant defense in the country, and then they, they get run all over against Boise State. They were much different yesterday, talking to defenders a lot more. Like, we got to handle our business and we'll be fine. You, I, I, they just seem different in that regard, more dialed in, more engaged. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. The one thing I would add is that I think uh, their head coaches are going to let them kind of, you know, sulk. If they want to sulk, they can go sit their ass down. He's going to go put somebody else in the game. Like, I think it's that simple. I, I don't think he's cut that way. If you listen to him speak, you listen to what he says, you look at what he's done in his past history as a head coach and an assistant coach, I I just don't think he's going to stand for it. Um, you know, he, he will cut bait and move on if he needs to cut bait and move on. I don't think he has any type of allegiance to most guys in the sense of, oh, I'm going to let you work through this on the field. He's going to work with guys, but he will also yank you off the field, put somebody else out there, have a conversation with you, and then to decide whether or not you need to go back in. So I just – I don't think it's going to be allowed to sustain within the program like it ha- it was the last two years and how it became a norm for them three years ago into something that stuck with them. So I would say, yes, they're in a much better headspace. All right. Stock market's open. So let's finish this. Um, how would you rate Mike Norvell's off season, given everything that has occurred up to this point, starting from his hire up to kickoff? I'd give it a B to a B plus. I, I think he's done. I think their planning has been excellent. I think mm-hmm. their execution of a plan has been excellent. I think they've done a good job of getting through to guys of working to develop a roster, figure out their roster, figure out what they have and don't have. The one thing that I would leave a little bit short there is I think they could have gotten another tackle or an alignment in the portal potentially. I think that's one place I came up a little short, but that's a numbers game and it's a matter of finding somebody who's worthwhile to take that wants to come where you are. So that that's kind of how I'd set it. I think they've done a good job, but you know, they are dealing with obviously unique circumstances. Yeah. I was going to say a B to B plus as well. I think that's, that's fair. There's obviously some things that you couldn't control. Like Chris said, what are you going to do? Uh, the, the multiple like social media incidents, not great, but like, I, you know, he's, he's navigated. He's had some really, really shitty hands dealt to him and he's done some of it just making some own calculated decisions. We're like on the recruiting trail and not having a bunch of Florida based recruiters on staff. Those are all calculated risks, uh, but he's navigated through them. I think really well. So I'll give a B to B plus. I think it's yeah. fair. I think I it's fair to say 2020 is the toughest year ever to be a head coach in college football. Uh, first year head coach, especially, but yeah, I mean yeah. we're in a 2020 See, is the hardest point to be living at all, right? Like this is the most volatile year any of us have been through in our lifetimes. But job security is probably a tick higher. Oh, a ton higher as well. for him. They can't yes. they can't afford to to let right. go. Of, so it's, while it's a hard time to be a coach, I mean, jobs like there's not a lot of coaches that can a lot of schools that can afford to fire their coach if he's got years left and hire a new coach with the uncertainty we're in but I do understand what you're saying um I think I agree with you guys BB plus uh the only thing I would add is you know recruiting just hasn't been what they need it to be and I know that's not Mike Norvell's fault but Mike Norvell and his staff are going to have to deal with those consequences of not recruiting at a high level um it's only going to make the 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 road to the top even harder but I do think they've done a good job handling everything that's come his way. Okay. Renegade Noel 82 snuck in a recruiting question here. Keon Coleman has maintained that he's still open. Oklahoma's wide receiver class and room is crowded and talented. Do we have a chance to lure him from Kansas? Our number one B-ball recruiting class can't hurt there either. I mean, if he wants to open things back up, I think they would definitely – they're still recruiting them. They're still talking mm-hmm. to him. They're still sending him edits. So I think he was definitely still interested. I think there's mutual interest. Uh, we shall see if he gets to that point. That's kind of visits opening up, making second decisions type thing. He 
he's super adamant about the Kansas basketball program. Not to say FSU's basketball program is not high level at this point, because you know I think it is. But the Kansas basketball program was a huge selling point to that kid. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I think Destin Payson is the is the goal right now for the FSU staff. If Keon Coleman was truly interested and we wanted in, hell yeah, they'd find room for him. But right now, I think the uh, the focus is on Destin Payson. All right, that's it. So now we're going to get to score predictions for Florida State versus Georgia Tech. You guys ready for that? Yes. Who wants to go first? Chris goes first. Why, why do I have to go first? Because I'm trying to think of the Brandon top of my head. So. FSU 30, Georgia Tech 14. Blowout. Seminoles get it going, baby. All that pessimism at the start of the podcast, it's gone now. You convinced me. I, I was going to go with like a 34 to 17 kind of score. Chris and I are always so close. We're like simpatico. I love you. Okay, don't say it back. Whatever. Make it awkward. I got Florida State 28-13. No, no field goals? You're not feeling any field goals? The, the early one to settle things down, get nope. some points on the board. Nope. We're going for we're going for touchdowns. Do you guys see there's a tropical depression out in the Atlantic right now, right off the coast of Florida? It's coming right through the panhandle. You know, there's always a lot of storms over the water in the ocean. You do know that, right? If you look hard enough. Oh, Brandon tries to look hard for for scary news. Anything that can spook him, he's looking for it. So yeah, he'll he'll track a hurricane. Um, all right, season predictions. Let's give it to them before we get out of here. How do you guys think the Seminoles will do? Remember, there's 11 games, so I don't want any 13-0 predictions. You can only give me 11-0 predictions. So how many 11-0 predictions do we have? All of us? That's a, that's a no for me, boss. I was on a podcast, uh, the group panel one, uh, that, that one of the subsidiaries of Josh's fine other network did the other day, and uh, – Charlie Ward was on it and dropped a nine and two, a nine and two, which was intimidating to have to so, make my prediction afterwards. So running the table other than Clemson and Notre Dame is what Charlie expects. Amen. I went with seven and four. I kind of go between six and five, seven and four, uh, just because of all the variables from that we talked about already extensively on this podcast and other podcasts with the shortened off season and first year coach, blah, blah, blah. blah. But I think FSU is going to be more talented than most of the teams it faces, including on Saturday against Georgia Tech. So I'm going to say good coaching. And while there's talent deficiencies on the roster, still a better roster than most leads you to a couple games above 500, seven and four. Yeah, I think they can exceed it, but I've stuck with seven and four throughout the offseason. I'm going to stay there. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I agree. Seven and four is kind of where I think they're going to go. Um, I think, do you think if they finish seven and four, Chris, a lot of people are going to probably want this. How do you see recruiting following up? with the seven and four record this season? Well, you know, we love to say, oh, seven and four, they were seven. Seven and four can look a lot of different ways. If they look competent, like they're developing a roster, like they can coach, like they know what the hell they're doing on the field, like they know the product, and it looked like it was improving throughout the season. And, you know, they're competitive with Clemson, they're competitive with Notre Dame, even though they lose those games in a projection. Mm -hmm. I think that stands out. I think guys who are attentive to FSU – you know, for example, I'll take Tyrion Arnold. Tyrion Arnold wants to see if FSU can rush a passer. He straight up told me that when I went over there in June and hung out with mm-hmm. him for a day. He said that he liked FSU, but he wants to see if they can get home. They haven't done it worth a damn in several years. And as a DB, you don't want to be hanging out on that island for seven, eight seconds. You know, you're not going to win. You know, we've seen um, what happens. So, like, to me, that's more the thing that some recruits, the ones who are very keen interest in the FSU, are going to notice is those little gains and things they do much better places they've made improvement. Now, the national perspective of them, yes, it will certainly be improved with seven and four. It won't yet be there, but I think they would have momentum with people saying, oh, the roster's improving if they recruit at a decent level, get some more transfers in. We expect them to be a team that takes a big leap year two. You know, people always love projecting those uphill climb positive gains teams in year one as the year two breakout teams, you know, a la North Carolina this year for a lot of people, including myself. Yeah, I think FSU can fall in that boat and you get recruiting momentum off that. So yeah, I think there would be a positive balance. Best case scenario for a seven and four season to me would include a two and oh start. One because of just getting some momentum and people nationally start paying attention to Mike Norvell a little bit. So you start getting placed on you know t- conversations on ESPN a little bit more often mm-hmm. you start off two and oh but then that that the double whammy there, the double-edged sword to to go ahead and take down Miami to start off 2-0-2. Uh, 
think about that. So you get Miami in the early loss, the early FSU loss, which we've seen what happens to that program after they lose to FSU in past years. You undercut what, what Manny's doing down there on the recruiting trail. You get some recruiting momentum for yourself, and all of a sudden the floodgates open up. You finish five and four the rest of the year. That's fine. People would be really happy with that. That would give you a lot of uh, nice momentum going into year two under Mike Norvell from a recruiting perspective, I think. How about that? No, I agree with that. I think that's a, I think seven and four, that's kind of what I was getting at. I think seven and four is the breaking point from, oh crap, we still got a lot of work to do or, okay, this thing's rolling in the right direction now. Now we got to kind of get a little bit more momentum on it uh, heading to signing day. And, you know, things look like they're heading in the right direction after that. All right. That wraps it up for our mailbag. Uh, that means there's nothing left for us to do except wait for football on Saturday. Um, we're excited it's back. The podcast is going to also reflect that. I think the schedule is going to change a little bit. Brendan, we're going to try to do a instant reaction podcast we'll, shortly after the Georgia Tech game. Um, we'll, see we'll, see if how that we'll see if circumstances allow for that, but that's the goal. Going we'll do it, it at some point. It just it I mean, might it was, not be in the determine moment. how instant it is. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then our plan is moving forward to drop that one, uh, you know, somewhat on Saturday or early Sunday. And then we'll hold another one on Monday afternoon, right after Mike Norvell speaks to the media. That's when we get all our injury updates from the, from the game before and all that. So um, those are two that we'll lock in. And then we'll probably do the preview podcast on Thursday, like we are today. Yeah, next week may be a little different because it's a bye week. So we may not get that Monday with Norvell. We're not sure yet. And no, never mind. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna spoil it. I was gonna say we have some podcast news that may be coming out next week, but I want to jinx it. <laughs> All right, for Brendan Sinone, for Chris Nee, I'm Josh Newberg, and the next time we talk to you, the Florida State Seminoles will be one and zero.